Good morning. Conversations with Alaskan Gardeners. What a morning. Hey, Marge. What a morning. Margaret and me. Conversations with Alaskan Gardeners. Landscape Alaska. Juno's Boutique Nursery on the Back Loop Road invites you to come today or tomorrow or Wednesday through Saturday. We're going to be open today from 10 to 4. Come on out. We're going to have a big perennial sale. So all the perennials we've got, and we've got thousands, are on sale for this week on through the 4th of July. Actually, on through the 10th of July. So the whole next week we'll be selling perennials. So it's, uh, we, it's been a pretty active week. Yeah. We did that big transplant job. All that material that came out of the, the uh, McDonald's. McDonald's, all those 40-year-old shrubs and things, all those went into... That was so amazing. You know, a pat us on the back is what I want to say. That's right. I Keep those really things. Don't throw them away. Use them again. Right. Wayne Smith, you, me. It was great. Charlie. Yeah. Charlie. Ray. We were able to, to uh, salvage all those big old shrubs and put them back into another landscape for the housing first folks out there in Lemon Creek. You know, one of the love-hate relationships a lot of people have with the weather in Juneau is the fact that things can be transplanted because the need for water is so readily available. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and even though soil's hard to come by, you can make soil. And we did. We took the uh, the gravelly, sandy fill and amended it with organics. barks and organics, and we're able to make that into a pretty nice planting mix. Yep. And be able to and and this is probably the most vulnerable time for those shrubs because they're making their new growth and they have the greatest water need of all. And a shout out to Lisa Doherty for for uh, donating a big truckload of uh, composted recycled. Re- composted recycling to the project for the housing first. Right. Thank you, Lisa. That was certainly a wonderful, wonderful addition. Certainly is. And um, so life is big, and those plants certainly were big. I mean, they must have weighed, I don't know, just the spireas alone probably weighed three or four hundred pounds. <laughs> oh, dogs. Hello, dogs. <laughs> 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 we like dogs. Anyway, uh, it, it was really something. Yeah, and, and it was able to happen pretty quickly, too. You yeah. know, that's one of the things about using heavy equipment like that. Those extended reach forklifts, which we rented from Tyler and from Bobcat, they were really handy things. You can reach right out there and pick up these big old shrubs, lift them up out of the ground. You know, it's relatively gently. Listen, after all the years I've worked in the landscape, I'm totally into equipment. Totally. Yeah. Totally into equipment and and uh, making it as painless as possible. And it's real nice having a an, an heavy equipment operator who's as gentle as Wayne is working around you, keeping everything smooth and clean. Absolutely. And um, Wayne at WS Excavation, if you're looking to put a driveway in, drain field, you have to do some kind of additions, you want to make a rock wall, any of those kinds of tasks, he's the man to call has all the tools necessary he comes right away no it's a real joy being able to work with Wayne it really is and with Dewan Dewan came and helped us T.W. Hall absolutely spectacular trailer that brought all those plants and you know you just couldn't ask for a better scenario and the fact that we were able to do it in two days was 
a miracle as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I am too. Absolutely astounded. And I was so glad to be able to pull it off as easily as that. It's not over yet, but well, it's, you it's don't, such we a don't do it alone. Change. That's the point is you, you get the guys that know how to work with you and you work with them and, you know, lickety split. There we go. There is that about operating in the same town for as long as we have. You do get to find people that you can get along with that do the job real well. I'm only 29. I don't know what you're talking about. I've only been here. Oh, a few oh years. that other woman. <laughs> that other woman who used to be you. That's right. Okay, this is a call in show. If you'd like to talk about landscaping and gardening questions, 586 1800. It's a perfect morning for it. Well, you know, and one of the things, too, about working in the landscape for me is, you know, I do a lot of menial type of work. I mean, I do large installations, but in terms of our bread and butter, I do maintenance on hotels and banks and, you know, take care of people's yards. But the satisfaction of being able to look at a well-maintained landscape for me is everything. Because everybody has different styles and they have different patterns in their land, but if you don't take care of them, then they end up looking kind of tawdry and run over by weeds and other things. So, you know, being able to put order in the landscape is very satisfying. And the low-maintenance landscape design that you developed, where you use shrubbery on about uh, two, two and a half feet tall as much as possible, and keep it so that you can't see the ground, so that all those persistent weeds get shaded out and covered up. That's right. That really, really works. You know, and the... The places where you have gravel or rock and landscape fabric, really and truly, those are going to be the areas where you're going to have weeds galore. And, of course, I don't use chemicals. I've lost jobs because I won't use chemicals. But, you know, it's bad for the environment and bad for birds, and I'm sorry if that pisses people off, but it's bad for me too, so I don't do that. But if you're smart about how you lay out your landscape and discourage the, the weeds from growing by not leaving them an open ground, whether it's covered with cobble or gravel or whatever, you know, that's what weeds want to do. That surface is calling to them saying, come make me a ground cover of buttercup. Come make me dandelions. So make me as many dandelions as you can. That's right. So. You remember when there were hardly any dandelions in Juneau? I remember when there weren't, not down Egan. Yep. Yeah. It yep. just wasn't here. Mm-mm. Well, they're okay. here now. So uh, perennial <laughs> sale. Now, we're going to talk about perennials for a little while. And if anybody has any favorite perennial stories or perennials they'd like to talk about or perennials they'd like to share or perennials that they're looking for, this is your opportunity, 586-1800. Well, for me, although I like all perennials, it's the midsummer bloomers that can take all the rain in July and August that I gravitate to in my design. Everybody has springtime gardens, and they're lovely, don't misunderstand me, but, but by the 4th of July, they're done. So, I look at the 4th of July to the end of September and say, what's going to be here now? In both shrubbery and in color and texture and in perennials. There's some really nice ones, the perennials that are going to bloom during that time period. There's well, great big ones like delphiniums. There's really thick, heavy ones like peonies. The delphiniums have a hard time when the big storms come in July, though. You really have to have the support system for them. You certainly And do. not just one stick in the ground. It really is. You have to almost cage them. Because once you have a, a delphinium for 20 years, it's a big thing. It's like that 350-pound 
you know, pig tied up at your garden gate. There you go. Do you remember going out and see Dr. Polly's delphiniums? 12 feet tall. 12 feet tall against the side of his house. They were something else, weren't they? Mm-hmm. His garden was beautiful. I, I just love Doc and Sally Polly. So let's, let's divert for a moment here before we go on talking about perennials. Next week, when it's Saturday, the day before the 4th of July, let's talk about other historic gardens in Juneau. I would like that. Hello, Conversations. Hey there, how's it going? It's good. Hello? Hey there, how's it going? Good, good, yes. So we live a little south of you guys, and we're experiencing sort of a heat wave down here, and I was wondering what I should do for my yard. Well, you know exactly what to do for your yard. Don't go to sleep. Stay up, starting watering at about 4 o'clock in the morning, and keep it nice and wet for as long as you possibly can. And go out there and enjoy it while the sprinklers are going. Yeah, 4 o'clock in the morning is a nice time to get sprinkled. How's that sound? Huh? Sounds nice. Sounds nice. <laughs> I got another question. Do you think I can grow aspens in Hood River? As a matter of fact, we used to have a friend that had an aspen nursery in Hood River. Yeah. No, it's a perfect environment for uh, for aspens. And they're and beautiful. What, what, and what time of year should I plant them? Well, I would plant them in the late fall when it's going to be the most moist and they'll be dormant. So I would plant them then and let them have the benefit of the winter rains because once it starts drying out there on the high plateau, it gets dry. So the cooler, wetter soil in the wintertime will help it grow its roots and be more prepared for the heat that it's going to come into. And even when it doesn't have any leaves on it in the, in the autumn and early winter, the roots are still growing. And so it will establish itself then. And are you going to plant more than one? Yeah, I think I'll probably do, you know, the whole south-facing side. They're so pretty. And with the wind that they get up there, uh, the movement of the leaves will be spectacular. That's my hope. Yeah. Our friend operated a sheltered workshop nursery there, and they raised aspens for revegetation and highway projects all over the west. And they'd have like, oh, eight or 10,000 harvested a year. And looking at the, them uh, blowing in the wind and the yellowing leaves in the fall was just beautiful. And the sound of aspen leaves twiddling around. Because it's dry. You know, we live where it's really wet, but where it's dry, hearing that rustling, it's lovely. Absolutely lovely. It's so good well, to hear sounds, your voice. Nice to talk yeah, to you. That sounds great. I have another caller here if I could pass the phone. Okay, great. Hi. Hey. <laughs> Um, I have a indoor jade plant. Yes. And it's in a pot and it's been growing pretty well and pretty happy, but it just developed this like little brown speckled fungus on a couple leaves and it seems to be spreading. Yeah, that's what fungus does. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Well, you know, if it were mine, Uh uh, how often do you water it? I water it probably like once every three weeks. Okay, that's about right. Um, Try not to get the, when you water it, try not to have the plant get wet. Keep the water to the soil and not to the leaves. And I would, if it's big enough to pick off the brown leaves, 
or spot brown spotted leaves, I would do yeah. that. Okay. And I also think the shade of your front yard where you could grow it on the porch in the summertime, it would probably like that environment. <laughs> How do you know what my front yard looks like? Because <laughs> I know where, who you are and I know. <laughs> you sent me a picture of the gardens you like yesterday. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but, um, okay, perfect. Thank you. And think about having more rock in your soil for your jade plant so it really drains quickly. Yeah, I think I need that in a lot of my plants, honestly. Yeah, little little rock to help drainage. But watering about every three weeks is about right. Okay. Thanks for calling, you guys. Okay, nice to talk to you. Okay, thanks, guys. Love you both. Okay. Sharing the love on the radio. There you I love go. That. That's right. <laughs> Nothing like it. And how how uh, <laughs> absolutely perfect to have people well, from out of state calling in on the internet line. Perfect. Uh-huh. Thank you so much. Okay, so let's talk about the uh, effect of the daylilies in that landscape, in that commercial landscape. <laughs> I tell you, you, you know, I, I have never really appreciated daylilies. I mean, as a little girl, we had a huge stand of them by our, our uh, pond, and they were lovely there. And those were the really old-fashioned Victorian style that are about four feet tall daylilies, right? But these dwarf daylilies that they've come out with, the Stella d'Oro right. vein of daylily, I got the responsibility of taking care of the Extended Stay Hotel. And uh, in order to give it a facelift, I had to dig some things up and move them around because I was making beds and planting other plants and expanding their, their footprint. And there were these daylilies, and there were like four ratty-looking daylilies that were kind of in big clumps. And so I just chopped them up into three or four chunks and planted them in the parking islands of the parking lot. And those things just exploded, and they're so dense, weeds can't get through them. They're green and beautiful from the early spring all the way to the end of October. They're going to get started to start flowering in about mid-July. And And for the rest of the summer. And they're just all the rest of the summer, and they really knock my socks off. And and if you're looking for a low-maintenance plant, you pretty much got your finger right on it there. It does all the things. And it's just the right height, too. Right. And the idea that it can get so dense that, you know, there's no buttercup and there's no horsetail. There's nothing. There's nothing. There's no dandelions. That's right. Hey, there you go. <laughs> there's no dandelions. We like that. So you can take these plants. Now, now Stella de Oro is a about a 10-inch tall leaf, maybe 12 inches at the max. And then the flower stands right above that. It's a bright yellow. And now there are bright red ones. And orange ones. And we're going to have the red ones this year for the first time. No, they're, they're really, really impressive. And if you have especially a, a, a difficult spot that's very sunny, that, uh, like this is a really hot, the extended stay faces due west, and it is hot there, believe it or not. And uh, they just thrive. They're not going to do well in the shade. They, I mean, they won't flower well for you. They'll grow fine. But uh, if you want them to be big and beautiful and resilient, you have a sunny spot, that's the place to do it. And you can take daylilies and combine them with Siberian iris. And you have kind of the same kind of effect of vertical lines, but the height difference is so dramatic. So you can have a band of daylilies in front of a band of Siberian iris, and you have like a, a fringe skirt edge. Right. Very, very pretty. And the iris moves in the wind, where the daylilies don't move in the wind very much at all. They're way too sturdy. 
That's right. So this is a call-in show. If you want to talk about your lawns or favorite trees or anything that you're interested in, uh, the number is 586-1800. 586-1800 gets you on the air. Okay, so it's time to be looking around at your rhododendrons and seeing if you've got root weevils. That, and it's time to fertilize them. Oh, yes, absolutely. This is kind of coming up to the end of the uh, time to fertilize them for this first shot. And we try and have all the first shot fertilizing done well before the 4th of July so that the new branches and new leaves that are coming out after the flower have plenty of food in place so they can make flowers the following year. So the fertilizing now is not for flowers this year. It's for flowers next year. And they're setting buds in this next month. So that's why it's critical that they get fed in this next month for sure. Absolutely. And the nematode picture, the, the root weevils, the root weevils make the edges of the leaves look like they're kind of lace. So they've been bitten into around the edges of the leaves so many times that it's, uh, there's no smooth surface lift. And if you're interested in this, you could, you could uh, come and talk to me because we brought in an army of... Uh, <laughs> Microscopic, super microscopic. Uh, I need some for animals. Joe's. I, I when I plant replanted Joe's uh, rhododendrons last week, I came across grubs and big weevils. And the grub for the weevil is a big white thing with a with a dot on the end of it, an orange yeah, dot on yeah, the end. Yeah, they're of. really disgusting, <laughs> and they're big. They are. They're quite large, and for they're a, eating for the a, roots to the mm-hmm. rhododendrons, and that's how what happened to Joe's. So. Um, now I, I've got new ones, new soil, new everything, but I need to douse it with uh, nematodes. Okay. And you'll want to do it for a couple of years. Uh, yep. And now, right now is the time to do it. If you can see the beginning of the adults eating the leaves, it means at that time the babies are getting born and, or getting hatched out. And do um, weevils attack hydrangeas and other types of shrubs? Hydrangeas, roses. primroses, true fir, viburnums. Uh, laurels. We don't have to worry about laurels very much here. I'd like to get... Do they even grow the old-fashioned viburnums, the snowball plants anymore? Somebody posted a picture today of the snowballs blooming outside their house. I saw them in the flats. You know, you mm-hmm. always see them in the flats. And the flats and up there at the old library, it, it's so pretty. And, it is. Um, I don't even know if they're available anymore. They used to be years ago when we were young, but now... You know, time flies. Oh, by the way, I did order some uh, mock orange, Philadelphia. Good. So it should be coming in in about 10 days or two weeks. And what size? Uh, Two-gallon cans. So Great. it'll be uh, big enough to flower. And it'll be in, it's got that real, real sweet, orangey flavor, mm-hmm. aroma. They're very yes. pretty. Very, very pretty. Uh, bleeding hearts. People have been asking for bleeding hearts. And those that you planted earlier this year are at saleable size now. And there's more down in the greenhouse. Okay, so anybody who's looking for bleeding hearts, now's the time we'll have them, and we're going to have a perennial sale this week, so this would be the perfect time to buy them. If you want some held for you, make sure you contact us either via the Internet or the telephone. Okay, and then one of the things, to, let's, let's talk about the, the perennials that I like. <laughs> the ones that bloom starting in July okay. through uh, September. Let's start with floxes. Well, the midsummer phlox is a really great one. It only gets 15 inches tall, maybe a little bit taller 
depending on the location, maybe 18 inches. It can take all the rain, it takes all the wind, it takes all, it takes all the snow getting pushed on it. I've had it at the Wells Fargo in the valley for, I don't know, 15 years. And uh, once it starts flowering, it just flowers and flowers and flowers and flowers and flowers. And it too is fragrant. Yes, hot pink. I love and the hot pink. it, too, is a pollinator attractor. You see both the bees and the butterflies coming to it. And I love to plant it with yarrow, especially that moonshine yarrow that we haven't been able to get much of this year. But that bright yellow, the yellow with the hot pink really makes it That's dance. a good show. That's good a, combination. It is. It is. And uh, I love the dwarf bee balm. There's the Bee Mine series, Bee True, Bee Blue, Bee Mine. Uh-huh, you know. All those things. Uh-huh. They're all they're all very cool. We all like those. Yeah, and we have more of those coming, right? We have a bunch more of those coming. All the ones we had earlier are gone, but the next set is coming on its way. And uh, then, of course, there's the Sages, the Salvias. Those do really well, especially the dark blue ones, very hardy. It needs to be planted with something bright also <coughs> or white. A stilby's nice with it because it, it, it's, it's so dark, it. it recedes with our light. So unless you have something to backlight it, uh, sometimes people don't see it. I certainly understand that. And the new dwarf Veronicas that, yeah. are in, that are in white and pink, those are real pretty with and it. And the blue ones. The blue one is just beautiful, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And they're just starting to flower right now. Uh, there are a bunch of... And there's m- all those hostas. Oh, and they're just getting started too, and they're really pretty. Somebody told me that there was a garden on a long run that had hundreds of hostas in it. So we should. Well, we know where Long Run is. Let's see where Long Run. I think it was Northland on Northland had hundreds of hostas in it. We should drive down there and look and see. Great. Because right now would be kind of peak time for them. Be nice. I know in Tim's garden that that long sinuous ribbon of them are is so very attractive. Absolutely, and draws your eye right to where it's. Of course, critical. Tim's garden is really something. It is, isn't it? Uh huh. So uh, there's also the midsummer blooming primroses, all those lovely Florinde and Japonica style. The Japonicas are starting now. I saw some in bloom just this last week. I saw them at Mary Lou's house downtown. And the Belisiana. It's going to be coming on pretty soon. With the orange one. That's mm-hmm. right. Very, very pretty. And we look at uh, other kinds of midsummer blooming ones. We're looking at the uh, the astilbes and the uh, midsummer primroses, the salvias, the flocks, and the perennial geraniums. The perennial geraniums are just coming on. Yep. They just start now. uh, And they are one of the most wonderful And they bloom till the end of October. It's just we don't have very many of those left. Maybe 10. Mm -hmm. I found a flat full of uh, uh, Bevins variety last week. And Bevins is the ones that turn the bright red in the autumn and they have that real pretty pink. It's it's the one you love. I just love it. (laughs) It smells. It's very fragrant, too. Real, real fragrant. The leaf is fragrant. And we we have so many native perennials here. So many native, attractive perennials. You know the in the wetlands, in the, in the mountains, and um, everywhere. And Absolutely. Those, those uh, fritillaries, the chocolate lilies. Isn't that a lovely thing? And the shooting stars, and of course the lupin. You know, 
The only time I think a buttercup looks pretty is when it's growing in a big stand next to the lupin because the bright yellow and the blue look so sweet together. And it makes the buttercup not look so weedy. I know. It's hard, <laughs> it's hard to look at the buttercup and, and think anything other than... the aruncus is blooming, and I know people hate aruncus, but it's really very goat's pretty. Goat's beard. Goat's yes. beard, yes. When it's blooming, it's very pretty. It is. And right now, it's so fresh and, and crisp. I know when I look at seed catalogs from Great Britain, they've got 12 kinds of, of goat's beard listed, different sizes and different colored leaves. Well, those shapes. Brits are odd. There's no doubt about it. Anyway, um, what was I going to say? The town looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. you got lilacs in bloom. You've got roses starting. You've got rhododendrons still blooming. It's, and apple trees are still blooming. Apple trees are still blooming. It just looks so pretty. And the Cornus canadensis is just turning on. That's right. So pretty. Going out to uh, Montana Creek and the and the corners of the roads where the two roads come together, on almost a forty-five degree angle, there right at the edge of the highway, this big, big stand of native dogwood, so pretty, coming into flower, so delightful. You know, another one that I really like is Nagoon. Absolutely. Not only those beautiful colored flowers but that fall color on the foliage you is know just stunning has that the biggest crop of that is nurse diane who has that hillside of nagoon that's like a treasure trove that's right absolutely beautiful and then there are the uh, other kinds of midsummer primroses the ones with the with the other colors the pink the the albicola a- and the, a- and the curtisoides a- alpicola alpicola that's yes. correct you're right and they're just starting to flower now too. I noticed in Lynn's garden they're starting to flower. Yeah, isn't and Lynn's those garden long, great? graceful, waving stems? All that stuff is so pretty. And the Himalayan poppies—they're in bloom everywhere, aren't they? Uh-huh. Right now, and peonies are opening up. Now we have some peonies that someone may be interested in because these are peonies for places where it rains. <laughs> oh, where would that be? I don't know. I don't know. Might be might be some place we know, but prim. Peonies for places where it rains and it rains a lot are the old-fashioned single peonies with not not uh, 10 rows of petals, with one row of petals. And we have a brilliant red one. Well, if they don't sell in the sale, let's move them into two-gallon pots and get them to be big for next year. Good idea. Because people will like them when they really see them. And anybody that grows delphiniums has to know about delphinium cages. And so... If you are interested, come and talk to me, and I'll show you how to make a a, uh, a delphinium support system that'll be infinitely better than pounding a stick in the ground and tying strings to it. All right, our son Cole designed it. If you're still listening, Cole, Ginger still likes her her uh, delphinium cages. It makes it look like a bamboo fence. Okay, we're almost over. Dwarf lilies. The yes. dwarf lilies are coming on now. All lilies are fabulous. Mm-hmm. And, the li- and they come back. Oh, yes. Come back. And multiple. And multiply multiple. rapidly. If you want to have something that is successful. You can say you've got a, a, a seven-year-old who wants to have a garden. This is an ideal plant to give them. Because not only does it bloom beautifully, it's really, really tough. And it's, it's peculiar enough that it keeps their attention. <laughs> well, that's hard for any seven-year-old. But there's, <laughs> I have noticed that that's one of the things that they all get drawn to. A, a small child's, they all head for that. Yeah, because when they're looking it, at it. it looks like something from 
science fiction. Well, it does kind of look like that. It also <laughs> looks like it just can't help but flower. Right. It's got all those huge flower buds on that little diminutive plant. That's really nice. Okay, so uh, we have our highly trained, industrious, and, uh -oh. and Here's a phone call. staff standing by. So if somebody wants to come there before we get there, they'll be out in force. Conversations, hello. Hey, have you noticed a, a, a lack of bumblebees this year? Oh, absolutely. You bet. All bees. Yeah. And uh, I mean, and not just here, all over the West. It's distressing. Yeah, yeah. Usually the bumblebees are just swarming all over the clover in my yard, and I don't see any. I haven't no, seen a single yeah, one. You know, and normally we have our rhododendrons. Our, our kids grew up playing uh, with paper cups, capturing the bees that were in the flowers of the rhododendron didn't kill them just was a game of kind of like tag you yeah, know you can actually hold your hand under like fox gloves and they'll land in your hand they won't hurt you right exactly and and there aren't any david no. and i were talking about it there aren't any bees mm, that's bad i really appreciate the call yeah thanks a lot see you later Okay, so we're coming up to the end of this program here. We've got a couple minutes left. One minute. Okay, come visit, visit me, Landscape Alaska. We'll talk about perennials. Maybe you'll even buy a couple of them. So, I'll be the, gone, but the, enjoy yourselves this weekend and, and be safe. And the rhododendrons are spectacular, and there is this purple rhododendron called Edith Bosley. It's the best purple rhododendron we can grow, and it's just opening right now. And you put that purple rhododendron with a dark red America rhododendron, and it's such a eye-catching combination. I'll show you if you come see me, Landscape Alaska on the Back Loop Road. Look at our website for a map, landscapealaska.com. And then the other boys, we'll talk to you next week. We'll talk about historic Juno Gardens. So think up some historic Juno Garden questions and comments that we can all talk about. And until next week, this is Margaret Tharp and David Lendrum from Landscape Alaska. And we're wishing you all happy gardening.